Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Well, praise the Lord. And I know some people say, well, why are you having an Easter egg hunt? I'll tell you why. Because we can invite all these kids, and they get to come and hear the Easter story. Nothing about the Easter Bunny, it's about Jesus. Amen? And we're going to do that. Thank you for joining us today. If I asked you the question, what is your God like, what would your answer be? What is your God like? If you're a Christian, you would probably begin to tell me about Jehovah God. And that would take a while. How many knows that take a while to talk about God? But what if I ask you the question, well, what about your other gods? Your response would probably be, I don't have other gods. You might even quote scripture, like Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love. Aren't you glad for that verse? but showing steadfast love, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Or some of you may go to the New Testament and say, we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Good answers. The word God capitalized, which we know that to mean Jehovah God, is used almost 4,000 times in Scripture. So that ought to tell us one thing. The main character in the Bible is who? God. From Genesis to Revelation, the main character is God. Now, when we say God, we mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune God, Jehovah God, Almighty God, and he is the main character in the Bible. But there are other terms for God are used. Other terms used for almost 300 times. And if you add the word idol or idols to that, you add another 200 times. So we're talking about 500 times there are other gods mentioned. Those gods that are small letters. Small, not a capital God, but it's there. Now, I thought this was very, very interesting. And this very first fact here that I'm going to share with you is worth the price of admission. When you look at the word that, and the Hebrew word that's translated idol, there's six or seven different terms that are used that are translated idol. Now, listen to what those definitions of idol are. An empty thing. 
good for nothing. Now, wives, that's not talking about your husband. Good for nothing. But now, if you made an idol for him, I guess it could apply. A terrifying thing. A horrible thing. A shameful thing. A detestable thing. See, six ways there that are translated into the word idol. Now, just looking at those definitions, that should be enough to encourage us not to have an idol. Think about it. If your idol is empty, if the idol is no good, if it's terrifying, if it's horrible, if it's shameful, if it's detestable, then maybe we shouldn't have an idol. Yet, if we'd be totally honest with ourselves, most of us have some idols. Most of us have some other gods. Now, I want you to know that if you do, you're not in bad company. You're not the first ones. See, when Jacob left Laban with his wife, Rachel, you know what Rachel did? Stole the gods. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough to have a God, but when you go to stealing gods, that's pretty bad. But she stole the gods. Now, we really don't know why she stole them. It could have been they were made out of gold. It could have been they were made out of silver and they were valuable. It could have been that she wanted to continue worshiping those gods. We don't know. All we know is that when her dad came looking for them, not only did she steal them, she lied about it. One of the most interesting stories in the Bible, how many knows there's a lot of interesting stories in the Bible that are overlooked? There's one in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 19. This was about a guy by the name of David. Remember David? Pretty good dude. But notice what it says. When Saul was out to kill David, Michael, his wife, Saul's daughter, rescued him. Now, how did she rescue him? Well, let's read that story. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 12. So Michael led David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. That's a real brave man, left his wife there to face the consequences. Yeah. But Michael took an image. Now, if you look up that word image, you know what it means? She took a household god. Whose household was this? This was David's household. She took a household god and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair in its head and covered it with his clothes. Whose bed was it? It was David's bed. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messenger to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image or the idol was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hairs at its head. A household God. Now you say, why do you tell us that? I'm trying to tell you that because uh, not to justify having a God, but to simply say that you're not by yourself. Because those gods can take all different shapes and sizes. This message 
began a few weeks ago when I was reading the book of Isaiah. How many of you would agree the book of Isaiah was written to the Jews? How many knows the Jews were not supposed to have idols? How many knows they were not supposed to have gods? How many knows they had a bunch of them? So just because you're not supposed to doesn't mean that they're not there. But as I was reading that, to, written to God's people, I began to realize something. That a lot of time we have gods that we don't even realize we have. We have idols that we don't even realize we have. Now I realize that most of us when we think of idol, we think of something up on a shelf. We think of a God that we bow down and worship. We think of people that have thousands of idols that they worship regularly. But the reality is there's idols, false gods, all around us. All around us. Now, we can't read it all. But I encourage you, maybe you want to go back and read the stories. But begin with Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double from her sins. Did you catch that? It said God's saying, I've delivered you from your sins. How many think that's a God worth serving? A God that delivers us from our sins. But let's drop down to verse 12. It tells us a little bit more. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Now think about it. What's it saying? It said, did God need to go to an architect and say, how am I going to design the world? Did he need to go to a carpenter and say, how am I going to build these things? No. It says, who taught him the path of justice? He didn't have to go before the Supreme Court. He is the Supreme Court. And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? Now, let me ask you this question. What kind of God compares with this kind of God? It's poor comparison. An idol? There's an exclamation point. A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. What's he saying? He said, if they can't afford gold, they get a wood. They get a better grade of wood so it won't rot. But the reality is they're putting their faith and trust in something they can make. He seeks out a skillful craftsman. Must have been somebody like me. I couldn't make it, so I had to get somebody to make it for me. To set up an idol that will not move. 
Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing. We can put some names in there. Throughout history, he's brought kings to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. What's he saying? It's talking about the greatness of our God. The greatness of our God. I've had a lot of people recently ask me about questions about the Bible. They ask me things that are just way above my, my pay grade. Now, I know some of them, if they ask Brother, uh, some of you, Lou, he could ask Lou and get the answer, ask Gator, but they're way above my pay grade. But the reality is, if your God is small enough for you to understand, he ain't much. Huh? Now, I know some of you, a lot of you are a lot more intelligent than I am, but I'm going to tell you, if you can understand God, you know what that make you? That make you God. So we got to understand something. His ways are way above our ways. And that's what Isaiah was saying. Listen, folks, you know, you, I need to understand something. All of these idols, all of these gods, they're, really, they're an empty thing. They're nothing. They're a terrifying thing. They're a horrible thing. They don't do anything for us. Let's drop over to chapter 41. Chapter 41, verse 21. <clears throat> in my Bible, it's got a, sec, a title there in that section. It says, the futility of idols. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proof, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them in and tell us what is to happen. Said, bring your, bring your idols. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them that we may know their outcome or declare us to do the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you're gods. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Did you catch that? An idol or a God that can't do anything? And he says, your abomination is he who chooses you. So that means if we're serving a false god, if we're serving idols, then that's an abomination. I know some of you are saying, well, pastor, you're talking to all these other folks. I don't have any. Well, let's keep on. We read Isaiah 42 Verse 5, thus says the God, the Lord of, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory, I give to no other. Oh, let me read that again. 
My glory I would give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you them. This is speaking of God, how powerful and how almighty he is. And chapter 43 goes on to tell us that he is Israel's only savior. But then 40, chapter 44. But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant. Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams." How awesome is our God? I said, how awesome is our God? And yet we often resort to idolatry. I know some of you say, wait, wait, pastor, you don't understand. I'm a Christian. I don't have idols. I don't have false gods. Well, let's go to see what, let's, let's keep reading. Chapter 44, verse 9. All who fashion idols are nothing. I said, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. That's one of those words. They shall be put to shame together. Words that idols mean. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of that passage because it talks about the folly of idolatry, the folly of having other gods. Before we shift gears, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Jacob. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me? Let me pause right there and ask you, what wrong have you found with the true God? I mean, he's got that everlasting love, right? He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. We could go on and on and on and talk about that. And God asked the question, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went forth far from me and went after worthlessness and became Worthless. They became worthless. I will tell you, this scripture hits me between the eyes as I was reading this, like I said, about three weeks ago. And I really thought about re- preaching this Easter Sunday, but I realized that on Easter Sunday there will be a lot of CEOs here. Now those are Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> and some of them might not be able to quite understand what I'm saying I don't want to lambast or slam anyone but most of us have some kind of God have some kind of idol that we worship so wait a minute I don't worship anything I don't bow down to anything well I want to tell you something if your job is more important to you than your family you've got an idol 
If social media is more important to you than reading the Word, you've got an idol. If Fox News or CNN News is more important than listening to the Word of God, we got a problem. What did God do? He said, what did I do to cause you to do that? What wrong did your fathers find in me? Now, there are so many ways that you can make an idol. Now, normally we think about carving an idol to sculpture it. We could weld it. There's so many ways to build an idol. But one of the major areas that becomes a god or idol is the one that we build through our mind. See, many of you are not going to carve an idol. But we make idols in our minds. Here in America, we have created many gods. And one of the greatest battles that we fight is self, the flesh. Now, I know some of you are not aware of this, but there is a religion of humanism. And you know what a simple definition of humanism is? An outlook attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Stress the potential, value, and goodness of human beings. When we elevate ourselves above God, that's humanism. When we begin to think that we can handle all of our problems and we don't need God, that's humanism. The belief that this belief has permeated God, our our American culture. Have you heard somebody say this? What's in it for me? Isn't that humanism? What about eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die? Or even, what am I going to get out of it? 1 Timothy chapter 6. Begin reading verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions. Won't go there, but Romans chapter 4 says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Another way of putting that, so some of you remember, if you wouldn't blow your bubble so big, it wouldn't make such a mess when it pops. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, folks, God wants to bless you financially. He wants to bless you materially. But when that begins to drive our spirituality, that is an idol. When you begin to think, I'm going to serve God so I can get rich, 
You're not serving God, you're serving riches. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with those, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and I could say and made themselves an idol and pierced themselves with many pangs. We could go there a while. Let me ask another question. What about drugs? What about alcohol? What about addictions? There's probably not a family in here that has not been devastated by one of those. Maybe some of you have been personally, and I'm not slamming you, not criticizing you. My dad was an alcoholic. He did not become an alcoholic till I was grown, and I know a lot of professionals say that's not true. He already had, but I can tell you, I never saw him drunk until I was grown. But I tell you what I did hear him say many, many times, I will never let alcohol control me. See, I've heard people say that addictions and alcohol is for weak people. I can tell you that's a bunch of garbage. There's a lot of good people that start out thinking they will be able to control it. But then all of a sudden, not only does that alcohol or drugs, any other perversion begin to grab you it causes everything else to lose value I want to tell you mamas that lose their kids because of drugs they don't do it because they're bad people they do it because they have a bad God that addiction some of you that fought this you know what I'm talking about now I want to just ask you this question Is it by accident that many of these are called mind-altering drugs? Mind-altering drugs because they change the way you think. I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, and I know this is live-streamed, and I know that a lot of people will disagree with me. But if you've seen as many young people as I've seen devastate their life and their futures because of that innocent drug that we call pot. People say, oh, oh, it's not addictive. Go peddle that somewhere else. I've seen too many very, very intelligent people become potheads and lose all their motive. The amen's coming from these school teachers. If you've seen teenagers that were Athletes that could have gone to any college they wanted to. But all of a sudden, pot became greater than their future. I'm just telling you, they didn't all of a sudden become bad kids. They just worshiped the wrong God. I told you my dad became an alcoholic. I'm so thankful that God's Bigger than alcohol. 
Doctors told him, told us, they called us all in, had 23 grandkids at the time. More than 40 of us were in one room in the intensive care unit because they said my dad would never leave the hospital. And if your dad did, he would be a vegetable because he'd pickled his brain. He left the hospital, and within six months' time, his mind was just as sharp as it had ever been. A lot sharper than it was during the time he was an alcoholic. God miraculously delivered him. God miraculously delivered him. Thank God for medical science. Thank God for medicines. But I'm so glad that we have a God that's bigger than all these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 36, or excuse me, verse, chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, that's that human nature. And guess what? You're going to be walking in the flesh for a while. How long? Until you die. And as long as you're in the flesh, we're going to be tempted. For we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to de destroy strongholds. Now, I looked up that word stronghold, and another word for that is a fortress. But it literally, literally means those things which mere human confidence is imposed. In other words, we can have something greater than human confidence. We got something greater than human ability. And that's the God that we serve that's bigger than all of the other gods that there is out there. When I originally, I told you this was going to be my Easter message because I wanted to realize that the greatest God of all is the one that rose from the dead. Because there's never been another religion, never been another God that was rose from the dead. So we have something that the rest of the world does not have. We have a resurrected Savior. Amen? We have a God that's able to do that. Praise the Lord. And it says that for the, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, and we destroy the arguments, that means destroy our imagination. It can reestablish those things that are, our minds have been altered. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. God is the supreme God. Now, question is, how do we overcome it? How do we get rid of the other gods? That's a good question. And I think we need to understand something. There's some other gods that are going to always be with us. I know this would, I, I tried to find something that wouldn't affect anybody in here, that would not offend anybody. And I figured out that nobody would be offended if I used that some people have a God of food. <laughs> a food God. And guess what? We're going to have that with us all of our lives. Because if you give up totally on your food God, you're in trouble. I was talking to Dave Reaver back a few months ago, and he was reminding me of his story. He, he said that, uh, you know, after he had gotten uh, his face blown away and was in the hospital and he was feeling so sorry for himself, he said he decided he would commit suicide and he pulled the plug. And then he got hungry. He found out he'd pulled the wrong plug. 
Some of us will have our, you're not going to get rid of all the gods. There's always going to be those things. But how can we get rid of as many as possible? There's a story in the book of Acts that talks about the church at Ephesus that had a great revival. How many knows when you have a great revival, one of the things that happen, you get into people's pocketbooks. I mean, you know, I know when people really, really get moved by God because whenever they become generous, and you're a generous church. Ephesus, they had a revival. And one of the gods that they were worshiping in Ephesus was the god of sorcery and witchcraft. They had such a revival, they brought all of their witchcraft materials and burned them. One commentary said that the value of what they burned was $6 million. That's a lot of gods to burn. But where do we begin? And I know I've got to land the airplane. But where do we begin? First of all, we've got to acknowledge the problem. I don't care what it is, we've got to acknowledge the problem. In other words, admit we got a problem. I've dealt with a lot of drug addicts. I've dealt with a lot of people. And the first step to deliverance is you got to admit you got a problem. Amen. But let's get it closer home. It may not be that drastic of a God. But if and I'm speaking to me. But if I can spend more time on Facebook and social media than I do in the Word of God, I've got a problem. So we've got to acknowledge the problem. Then we've got to build our faith. Well, how do you build your faith? Quite easy. We use it. But the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And see, there's some things that are not wrong, but they can still become gods. I know I've shared this before, but it's a classic illustration. First church I pastored, I, and we were having a men's fishing trip, and I invited one of the men of the church to go fishing. And Gator, he said, I don't fish. First of all, I wanted to say, are you a man? <laughs> you know, you don't fish? But that would be before the transgender thing, so yeah, it wouldn't work. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes, folks. Forget that. Strike that. But I said, why don't you fish? He said, well, before I became a Christian, every weekend, every Saturday and Sunday, I was fishing. I was sitting on my boat and I'd laugh at people on the way to church how stupid they were when they could be out here fishing going out there to that place that all they wanted my money he said whenever I got saved I realized that fishing was my God and I said I'd never fish again Now, some of you sitting there, thank God I don't have that problem. But if you really begin to let the Holy Spirit check you, you might realize you do have some little gods. How many of those little gods have a 
chance to grow into big gods. So what do we do? We saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What, what about worship? You want to overcome your other gods? Begin to worship God. Most of you know I love to sing. Somebody asked me a day, Pastor, do you sing when you're eating? I said, well, sometimes. <laughs> I've been accused of it anyway. I just love to sing. But I found out a long time ago, if I'm depressed and I've got a right to be depressed, I know none of you like this. Everybody is against me. If I start singing, I start getting over it. And I say, I need to be depressed. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have the same thing. Why? Because we're human. Let me read Psalms 96. Just a few verses. And while I'm turning there, I'll remind you of something. The bigger Jehovah God becomes, the smaller other gods become. I said, the bigger Jehovah God becomes, the smaller other gods become. That's the reason God kept asking him, what have I done to be diminished when you know how good I am, how great I am, how powerful I am, how almighty I am? Why would I want to worship something that's nothing, that's wasted? Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. Isn't that one of the definitions? But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe. What does that mean? Give worth. Ascribe. What does the word worship mean? To ascribe worth to. When you worship in God, it tells him how great he is. Ascribe to the Lord, all families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And the next few chapters talk about making a joyful noise unto the Lord. So we have other gods. How do you get rid of them? Acknowledge we've got them. And begin to realize, I want to give those definitions again. An idol is an empty thing. It's good for nothing. It's a terrifying thing. See, somebody say, I don't understand how all these fit. You give somebody that's a drug addict and you talk about their idol, it's a terrifying thing. It's a horrible thing. It's a shameful thing. It's a detestable thing. But great is the Lord and greatly 
to be praised. So again, ask the question. What is your God like? What is your God like? Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come on up. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. And we know the word is already anointed. You don't have to worry about that. We know that your spirit's here because you said you'd be here with us. So, Father, we ask you to speak to our hearts and lives over the next few minutes. Minister not only to us, but minister in us and through us. Have your will and way today. It's our prayer and our desire. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.